you're passionate about transforming retail operations and improving performance, plus you're accountable for key change projects and programs in your company, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Retail Transformation Show with me, Oliver Banks. Hey, Oliver Banks here and welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. This is episode 45. Now the world is changing as we unpacked in the last episode, in episode 44. There are many, many things which continue to evolve and change how we are living and how we are shopping. And these are fundamental changes. Do not expect things to revert. Of course we shouldn't. You know, the internet is not going away anytime soon, right? Our insatiable desire for connectivity isn't going anywhere. The highly competitive nature of the retail market will not change going forward. This is the world that we live in. It's digitally enabled. You could say it's just our normal now. You could say it's our new normal. And that brings me on to introducing you to our special guest today. He's the author of a brand new book, a brilliant book as well, I might add, Reinventing Retail, the new rules that drive sales and grow profits. So today, I'm absolutely delighted and excited to welcome Ian Shepard onto the Retail Transformation Show. Ian comes into this eyes wide open to the evolving and changing world that we live in. And his book is exploring this in much more detail, as you're about to hear. Ian has held a number of very senior positions at leading retail and consumer facing businesses, including managing director at Sky Interactive, consumer director and strategy director at Vodafone. Chief Operating Officer at Odeon Cinemas and CEO of Game Group, the video game retailer. So he's very familiar with the challenges facing retailers and very much recognises that it's not a simple answer to really move the industry or any particular business forward. Now what you are about to hear right now is a fantastic conversation. And it's just the first part as well. This is the first of two parts. So make sure that you hit subscribe and do not miss part two. I promise you, you will not want to miss that one, I tell you. So without further ado, here is the first part of my conversation with Ian Shepard about reinventing retail for the new normal. Today, we're joined by Ian Shepard, who has just released a brand new book, Reinventing Retail, which is a fantastic read. Ian, welcome to the Retail Transformation Show. Oliver, good morning, and thanks very much. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be here on the show. Well, it's fantastic that you're here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. We've got a couple of different episodes. This is obviously the first part. So if you are listening, remember to hit subscribe and come back next week for the second part. Ian, I have to say, you've done a fantastic job with the book. It's, it's a brilliant read. There's a ton of really actionable advice, which I personally love. It's nice to have something interesting, but until you take action, that's where the value is in my personal view. So firstly, 
big congratulations and big kudos. Well done. Well, look, that you're very kind to say all of that, and and what particularly stands out for me and what you've just said is the is the is the this piece about actionable and practical advice. I think there's a real danger we we're all facing when we look at the challenges that retailers uh, up and down the high street are facing. We're all we're we're all looking at the same problem, and there's a wide community of people out there trying to offer help and advice. And I think that you know, for me in writing reinventing retail, one of the questions that you face is, you know, have I got something? Have I got something extra to say? Have I got something additional to offer? Because there are, you know, loads of and fantastic, intelligent retail observers and advisors and consultants out there. You, you've had many of them on this show. So, what could I possibly add? And uh, you know, what really what I wanted to add was the fact that I, I've I've actually been there, sitting around those board tables in retail and hospitality businesses, and so I've had to you know, in a very practical way, roll my sleeves up and think, well, what, what do we do uh, in, in this situation? And so what I've tried to capture with Reinventing Retail is is a set of, you know, as far as possible, kind of really recognizable and practical uh, observations about what's happening and therefore, you know, discussion about what retailers around the around the world might do about those things. Well, I think it's brilliant. And that valuable experience that you do bring, as, as I say, you know, having had those senior roles, getting your hands dirty, really doing this stuff makes it so authentic. So I think that's really valuable for, for anyone that is in a retail position and is facing challenges. This is someone sharing their experience that has been there, done it, got the T-shirt of it. So highly recommended. And actually, Ian, you've, you go right from the beginning. You share one of the most defining moments of, of your career, that stepping out onto the street at 2 a.m. And I'm going to let people dive into the book, you know, pick up, a, pick up a copy of the book and understand what's going on there. But I'd like to just dive into a few words right at the beginning of the book, just to, to kick off our conversation, really. You say... But we make a terrible mistake if we think that means we should let established retail brands fail without a fight. If there is to be technology change, and if consumer needs evolve, so be it. But there is no fundamental reason why it can't be existing businesses who evolve with them to capture those opportunities. And then you go on. Those businesses which are really thriving are the ones who are actively thinking about these kinds of fundamental existential implications of the new normal and that's new normal with capital n's and that's a really big part of the whole book ian but let's just get all on the same page what do we mean by the new normal can you explain please yeah that look that i mean thank you for picking out that that section which i do think is a is a is a really interesting introduction to to this discussion what I was trying to capture there in the introduction to the book is that it, in some senses it's self-evident that the reason that so many retail and broader consumer businesses are getting into difficulty now is because the world has changed. And the the most obvious and direct way in which the world has changed is in the sort of the way that technology has evolved over the last two decades. So we now have all of the information in the world uh, available to us, you know, on our mobile phones, twenty-four hours a day. So instead of, I, I think I use the example in the in in reinventing retail of you know kind of buying a fridge. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when buying a fridge meant getting the bus down to wherever the electrical retailer was and looking at the fridges and looking at the different specifications on the price labels and writing down some prices. And if you wanted to do some price competition, you then had to get another bus to the next shop and 
take more notes of and eventually you just yeah. gave up and bought the thing that was in front of you um now now um you know one google search will give me all of the makes and brands and specifications and price points and every retailer's offering for every fridge in the world ever on my mobile phone and that has obviously changed the world uh, and it's that kind of perfect imperfect noisy cluttered information world in which we now live which i dubbed as the new normal for for the want of any kind of better terminology just to capture that change from a couple of decades ago to today what i'm then you know going on to to, to say because the first half of the book that then really goes to try and examine that new normal in in a, in a bit more detail is that that there is a there's a very direct set of implications of the fact that we live in that world. So if you're a retailer, the very direct implication of the existence of the internet is that you're going to need a website. You're going to need to be selling online, and 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 fine that that you know for much of the last kind of couple of decades, a lot of the effort that's gone in around retail board tables has been well, okay, you know, there's now an internet. We need a website. We need to tool up for that. We need to oh goodness, now we need a mobile website, and maybe we should do some social media stuff. That that's all fine, and it it make it's a vital. In fact, it makes sense, but that's only really addressing the very direct consequence of the new world in which we live. And what I've tried to do in the book is go one step beyond that and talk about the what I call the second order impacts of the new normal, which is that not that that world that that chaotic information world that I've described um, doesn't change mechanically the way we buy things. It also changes the way that we as consumers decide what to buy. And so, you know, the way we identify brands, the way we compare products, the way we form relationships with businesses, the way we share our experiences and opinions with each other are all entirely different now uh, than they were a couple of decades ago. And each of those also has big structural implications for what it means to be a retailer today. And they, and they become effectively in the end a manifesto for change and evolution for retailers it's not enough just to have a website and social media feeds and you know even to have it's not enough even to have invested in kind of clever omni-channel uh, integrated technologies actually you also need you need to go one step further than that i i was with a um a retail uh, ceo friend this week and uh, i can't name the can't name the brand but it's a brand that you know you would put they're, they're, they're not dead. They're not, they're not in, in, in the kind of, you know, they're not in terrible trouble, but they're definitely at the beleaguered end sure. uh, of the high street retail brands. And yet, actually, when I, look at, when I look at their offering today, actually, many of the omni-channel modern boxes, they tick really well. They have a great website. It integrates with the store. They expose their store stock levels to the website so you can check whether a product's in, in your local store. Their social media feeds are pretty rich and good and, and linked directly back to give you the ability to buy the product. And yet they're still struggling. And it's interesting because if you were to take that situation and you were to rewind, say, five years and say, here's, here's my proposition, you'd be like, wow, that's absolutely everything you should be doing. Perfect. Crack on. Correct. Because it ticks all of those first order, all of those direct boxes in terms of well, we now mm. live in an internet enabled world but the reality is their consumer has changed their consumer is considerably more demanding than they once were they have many more choices than they once did they're just that needs and uh, their needs and 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 wants are have evolved even beyond just you know can i shop with you seamlessly through multiple channels and so they're having to address the store experience that they deliver and how rich and involving and immersive that is they're having to address 
you know, issues of customer data. Do they know who their most valuable customers are and, and are they able to do something meaningful with that information they're having to address? Um, you know, all sorts of, you know, aspects of the experience that they deliver for their customers on top of the kind of technological multi-channel stuff. Yeah. And I think they'll succeed. They're engaged in an amazing kind of change program. And it, it sounds, you know, I, I, I'm at that particular brand, I'm pretty optimistic about, but that is the... That is the reality of being any high street retailer today. And that's why the extract that you were kind enough to read out before, what it came immediately after was, was a piece where I said, you know, there is a, there, there is a kind of cold-hearted economist's view of the world that mm. says cha- change happens. You know, new technologies emerge, new businesses arise, old businesses get consigned to the dustbin of history. And that's just okay, isn't it? Um, but of course, it's not okay. Proverbial evolutionary. Yeah. Do or die. Yeah, exactly. And it's, but it's not okay, in my opinion. And uh, the reason it's not okay is because it affects livelihoods. It affects, you know, thousands of people. 75,000 jobs have been lost in retail in the last year. You know, that, that is a, a magnitude of industrial change, which if it was happening in the, you know, in, in manufacturing or in steel or in, in any other industry would be front page news. Um, yeah. uh, and what, we, what, <laughs> what happens for us is in retail, it drips out sort of business by business. But the reality is there's something very painful going on that has impacts not only for people who, who work in retail, but they have impacts for wider society as well. You know, an empty high street is very damaging to a town. You know, so it, 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 suddenly the, the restaurants and the bars and the hospitality business go as well. And, and, you know, you, you only have to drive around this country to see just how all pervasive the damage of an empty high street can be. Mm. And so my, you know, my mission really in reinventing retail is to say, actually, yes, we'll, retailing has changed. What it takes to be a successful retailer has changed. But actually, I think it's within the power of those of us working in and, and running retail businesses to change and evolve our businesses to, to match that. And, and you see that there are, you know, great retail success stories doing fab- fabulously well right now that, that give us the evidence of that. Absolutely. And we, we often overlook those as well, don't we? <laughs> we do. And I, 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 would, I would be as bold as to say, I, I really struggle to think of a retail business that has failed or shrunk or gone into administration or had a really tough time over the last decade where I think that was inevitable. Mm. And I include the ones I've worked in. So if I was looking at this and thinking, yeah, it, look, it is just Darwinism. It is just, you know, inevitable that, you know, old retail businesses disappear and new technology businesses arise, then I wouldn't have written the book. But the reality is, I think that if you are, I think I use the phrase in reinventing retail, you know, if, if, if you're established business with its brand, with its customer relationships, with its supplier relationships, with its expert colleagues around the country, is driven out of business by a new entrant who starts with no brand and no money and no customer relationships and no supplier credibility. What does that say? Mm. Um, you know, that's extraordinary when you think about it that way. Uh, and so actually, I think there's something very important here about both identifying how it is that retail businesses need to change and evolve for the new normal, and then talking about, which I think we'll talk about probably in the next episode, the second half of the book is let's talk about how difficult that change is and and why it so rarely happens. So what I'm trying to do in the book in the first half is really codify some of the things that retailers need to be facing into, and then in the second half of the book, talk about how to make that happen. 
Yeah, and it's absolutely such a critical part, that second part. And we're going to, like you say, dive into that much more in the next part. But right now, you mentioned that you're on a bit of a mission to save retail, so to speak. And in the book, you've got six rules that help to grow sales, grow profits, and ultimately continue to evolve in in our ever-evolving world, the new normal. Just guide us through those six rules, Ian, if, if that's okay. No, very happy to. And, and, and what I try to, I, do, I don't, by the way, suggest that these are the only rules of the new normal or, or, the, or that, you know, in some way they represent a, a, a kind of end-to-end, a, a, a degree more humility than that is required. These are effectively, you know, uh, me offering an opinion about things that, 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 that I've observed and that I think retailers should have a think about. And what I've tried to do with the rules of the new normal is to face into the stuff that's really difficult. That it's, In some senses, it's too easy to write the the retail transformation book that says some version of you should have nicer stores and do more stuff on the web. Mm. Um, And, uh, you know, as a retail leader, you read that and you think, yeah, you know, duh, I knew that. But how do I cope with the fact that whatever price I put my product out at, um, somebody online undercuts me by 10%? Because that's that's the real reality of yes. being particularly a specialist retailer in the in the in in the new normal. All at your fingertips whilst you're standing in the shop. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I told the story before of a friend who worked in a business where um, he had the story that they accidentally priced a product at one pound instead of ten pounds on their website, and 24 hours later, Amazon was 80p. <laughs> yeah. And that is, you know, that that is that's a particularly kind of brutal algorithm in action. But yeah. but the reality is, so, some version of that is happening all the time. And that's why r- rule one of the new normal in the book is somebody's going to sell your product at cost or even less than cost. You know, I, I was in the video game retail business, mm. but you know, people selling DVDs or books or you know other other kind of products like that have experienced their products not only being sold below their their own price level, but actually being sold below wholesale cost. We, we had um, several experiences in the in my time um, a, a running game of seeing, for example, supermarkets selling video games for three pounds when you buy your groceries. That's a kind of price competition, a kind of intensity of price competition that you you know we just didn't see, I think, twenty or thirty years ago in quite the same way, and so. Mm. You know, there's quite an extended section at the beginning of the book talking about this first rule of the new normal and trying to offer some thoughts about in the real world, how do you cope? Because wishing that that's going to go away is not the answer. So, uh, you know, we talk about, um, you know, the pricing strategies that might that might help people cope in an environment where that very sort of mechanical, straightforward price competition is as brutal as that. I, I, I then go on to say, you know, you talked about there are six rules and, you know, just briefly the the, the following five. The second rule it says every, everyone knows everything. A great retail example of this is that, you know, once upon a time, if you were selling electrical goods, you made all of your money on the extended warranty because that was a huge 70%, 80% margin product mm. and you were making virtually nothing on selling the computer or the television itself. Uh, the trouble is now, in a world of perfect information, your customer knows that you're making a big margin on that warranty. They're, they, they're making an entirely different decision about whether or not they want it. And by the way, they have other places they can go and get the warranty. So you're being undercut. You can get it separately, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're being undercut on that on that sort of source of margin. And so, um, you know, that world of, you know, the customer knowing everything, again, changes the nature of you know the way you run a retail business, and 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 it's uh, that that section in the book is an opportunity to start to talk about 
a really, really important concept for retailers, a phrase that we've, we've all used a million times, but very few retailers have really embraced properly, which is the concept of customer lifetime value. Mm. So, so the idea that you're, the value of the relationship you have with a customer is the sum of everything that they do with you, not just about an individual sale at an individual point in time. An individual one basket or exactly. one trolley, whatever, whatever it is you're selling. Exactly. And, and, and we, we're often in retail blind to that because of something we'll come on to talk about later, which is the absence of kind of good customer data. And so, and so actually, it's very tempting to say, you know, if I can take this particular transaction and make a bit of extra money out of it by leaning on the terms and conditions or charging a, you know, an, an, an untoward premium. I mean, the, 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 the classic consumer industry example here is your car insurer trying to charge you more for insurance because you're loyal and give a better deal to new customers that have just walked in the door. That, that kind of practice and behavior is very tempting when you see every customer transaction is somehow distinct from every other one. But once you mm. understand the value of your ongoing relationship with the customer, you don't behave that way. And so that, that rule two of the new normal is all, is all about that. The third rule we go on to talk about is, that, is, is called reputation matters. And, and that's obviously always been true. But the reality for a retailer and indeed any consumer business now is that in the new normal, the way brands are formed is entirely different than, than it once was. They're, they're formed in conversation, they're formed in social media, they're formed uh, in online discussions. There's a, there's a um, wise marketeers used to say, your brand is what people say about you when you're not there. And what's happened with the internet is there's just a whole more, a lot more rooms that you're not in. Uh, yeah. Talk about you. Um, <laughs> and you can and, be there if you want as well. And you can. And so in, 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 in that section of the book, we talk about the importance of, of, of exactly that. In fact, we talk about the importance of, you know, really understanding what people are saying about your business on online. But we also talk about the importance of empowering and uh, enthusing your colleagues all around the business to represent the brand that you want it to be. So your social media teams, but you're also your teams in store. What are, what are they saying about you? What, what do they think about you? Because the reality is that in, in this world of, you know, your brand being formed in conversation, uh, if you have colleagues in store who, you know, are really not that loyal to your business, they really don't appreciate what you're doing. They don't feel rewarded or looked after or valued. Well, that, they, I don't think there's any way they could help but share some of that attitude with the customers who are buying from them. And those are your customers. That, that's where your revenue comes from. Absolutely, yeah. So, so actually, when I talk to retailers now in the round about the new normal and what they might do about it, we find ourselves talking about culture and values and empowerment much more than we find ourselves talking about digital technology. Because the reality is one of the, one of the biggest unnoticed consequences of the new normal is that it now matters enormously more than it did 10 years ago, whether or not your employees like and respect your brand and want to be nice to your customers, because that's your main way of building your brand. Mm. The, the fourth rule of the new normal, then we talk about location. So this is you know, really kind of core stuff for many of the, of the retailers listening to, uh, listening to this show, which is, you know, I have stores, but what are they for? Because you know, once upon a time, in my fridge example, stores were essentially distributive in nature you had stores because that was where people bought products and they could only buy the product that was in the store and it was costly to them either in time or money to go from one store to the next and so essentially stores were places that you got product into customers hands 
Yeah, thinking back to that sort of fridge shopping example. Exactly. You know, we've, we've all been there. Yeah, and in that world, it made sense to have as many stores as you possibly could justify because you wanted to be stumbled over by as many customers as you possibly could. You know, that distributive thing led to, I think, something which is very obviously in the DNA of many retailers today, which is the first thing I do when I have a decent year's trading is open and a load more stores. Uh, that's where that comes from. The problem is, in the new normal, I don't need your store just as a way of finding and discovering a, uh, a particular product because I can do that on the internet you know, much more easily. And in fact, the mm. internet can show me many more products than you can possibly show me in your store anyway. So the role of a store has changed. Stores are now about experience. They're about recruiting customers to your brands. They're about making active sales and up sales and linked sales and doing all the things that you can do in a physical store environment, which are harder to do on a website. And I think there are many of those. I list in this particular chapter in the book, six great reasons to have a store, even in the new normal, mm. but they're different reasons than they were a couple of decades ago. And because they're different, that means that the type of store that you need is probably different than it was a couple of decades ago. And the number and location of those stores is also different than it was a couple of decades ago. Uh, and that fundamentally changes the nature of the retail estate that a business needs. And, and I, you know, we talk in the, in the book, you know, about ways in which retail teams can embrace and try and kind of get their heads around that and, and, and do something uh, and really review, you know, what their stores are all about. Yeah. This is so good. If you're, you know, if you're listening and you're, you're driving or, or you're on the train or at the gym, whatever, I hope you're finding this so valuable because it's like, I remember going through the book and it's just like, yes, yes, I totally agree. So I hope you are finding that. And if you are, remember, pick up a copy of Reinventing Retail. Ian, we've got a couple more rules. Just very briefly guide us through those. Thank you. Rule, rule five, um, very close to my heart as somebody who comes from a sort of sub subscription media background, uh, is, is about customer data. Knowing, knowing your customer is key. For most retailers, uh, and you've talked about this in previous episodes of this show, if their most valuable customer, the person who buys most from them most frequently, suddenly stops buying from them, they won't even notice. Um, and, and you can't run a business that way. I, I grew up in subscription, as I said, in Sky TV and in, in, in the mobile phone industry. And in any of those businesses which are based on, which have very good quality, rich customer data, you will find that they spend more money on customer retention than they do on customer acquisition. The retail industry spends basically zero on customer retention because it doesn't know who its customers are. And so we talk a lot in, in this chapter about the importance of customer data, about how to get it for a retail business. And that's obviously at one level, that's the business case for a loyalty card. But actually, there are other ways of gathering customer data as well, which we talk about in the book and about the kind of value that you can generate from that. And then finally, the sixth uh, rule of the new normal, you know, kind of brings some of the others together. It says if a product can be simplified, it will. And I use there the example, which is, you know, uh, as we're talking, you know, now in the, in the summer, people are going on holiday as we used to buy package holidays. Uh, and now what a lot of people do is they dismantle that product. They buy the flight and the hotel and the various experiences that they might go on separately. Because again, the new normal gives them the ability to do that. And that's an interesting thing for a retailer to think about. Why would I buy sets of product together? What does that mean for the power of curation and, 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 and sort of linking products together with customers. I use the phrase somewhere that, that, you know, if you use a department store as an example, department store business exists to bring collections of products together in ways that customers will appreciate. But there's a very fine line between 
this is an inspiring collection of products that, 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 you know, I want to see together versus what a hodgepodge of stuff thrown together in a shop. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a critical point that you see some hodgepodges out there and you can go to Amazon or any other website and find equal sort of ranges with much more convenience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, exactly. And so I think, ironically, having said, a, you know, talk, the, the, the chapter six is about disintermediation, really, this thing about products being simplified. But actually what I end up doing is talking about the sheer power of curation. And, and actually that is a, there is a really, really viable strategy for retailers in terms of how they bring a subset of products together because precisely one of the problems that e-commerce businesses have is that they give you millions of search results. And actually it can be quite difficult to separate out the good from the bad or the wheat from the chaff. And so, you know, one of the roles of a store, one of the roles of a retailer in the new normal is precisely to kind of cut through a bit of that. So there they are, six rules. As I say, there are many more that people could come up with for themselves. But what I was trying to do is really capture the way the world has changed for retailers and some of the topics that they really need to be kind of leaning into and thinking about as they reinvent their businesses. I think they're a brilliant set of rules and I particularly love that you make it actionable as well. So for each one, there are different sort of ideas, questions that you can ask to scope out what it is that you could do differently in the new normal. Is there just very briefly and just before we wrap up this episode, is there a particular rule that you think most retailers come up against, you know, the biggest challenges, the most difficult rule? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it, that's a really interesting, wasn't it? Because I think there are some challenges in in in, in all six of the of, of of the rules. I think the thing that's most visible for many of the retailers who are kind of going through a reinvention process today probably is that piece about the role of the store. Yeah, because firstly, it has changed in such a fundamental way. But secondly, I'm going to sound a bit disrespectful now, but it's too easy to give a glib answer to the question, what is the role of your store? Because I've heard a lot of people say, well, obviously, in the new world, our store is about experience and discovery <laughs> and curation. Yes, fill in the buzzword, bingo, game, right? <laughs> yeah. And then I go into their store and think, that's not what I'm seeing at all. Mm. What I'm seeing is, you know, you've bought some product, you've stuck it on shelves, and you're basically hoping that I walk in and buy it. Uh, and that that's a way away from the kind of customer-focused, CLV, customer lifetime value-oriented, relationship-based retail business that many retailers' annual reports would suggest is what they're going for. And so I think that that particular section, I find myself talking to retailers a lot about what is your store actually for? And once you've answered that question, and there's a, as you say, there are kind of and there aren't quite worksheets in the book, but there are certainly sections encouraging retail teams to go and have this discussion. Once you've worked out what your store is for, that's going to leave you with some very uncomfortable realities about how many of those stores you need and what you want them to look like and feel like for your customers and, and, and how, you, how you react to that, what you do about it, you know, which gets you into the second half of the mm -hmm. book about how to create change. You know, that's, a, that's a really, really critical, mission-critical conversation for retailers today. Absolutely. And... Uh, let's let's wrap this one up here. That whole second part of the book, as as you say, is all about making that change and making it actually happen, which is certainly right at the heart of my beliefs around if you don't make a change, nothing changes and you haven't actually done anything. So it's all been talk. So you actually got to make it happen. And that's what we're going to be diving into in the next episode. Ian, thank you so much for sharing a ton of value here. The book, once again, Reinventing Retail, the new rules that drive sales and grow profits. 
Ian Shepherd, thanks very much. Oliver, thanks so much for having me. So tell me, what did you think of that? Was that not a fantastic conversation with Ian there? I have to say, I really enjoyed his book and I do thoroughly recommend you pick up a copy. It's Reinventing Retail, available in all good bookstores. And if you'd like a link to that, or if you'd like any of the other info, you can find all of that on the show notes page from today, obandco.uk slash 45. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, why not reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter? Ian and I are both there, so you could tag us both. Ian on Twitter is Ian A. Shepherd, and I am Ollie underscore Banks. That's O-L-L-I-E underscore Banks. And of course, we're both on LinkedIn under our own names. <laughs> and if you've not already done so, make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. We've got part two coming at you and new episodes are released every single week. So hit subscribe right now and I will look forward to joining you next time on the Retail Transformation Show. Have a fantastic week. Music